0: I'm Linda Holmes. And I'm Stephen Thompson. There's more stuff to watch and read these days than any one person can get to. That's why we make Pop Culture Happy Hour. Twice a week, we sort through the nonsense, share reactions, and give you the lowdown on what's worth your precious time and what's not. Find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you know, uh, Paul there's an interesting piece of research just came in. You want to hear it? Yeah. Yeah, okay, so it turns out Female hurricanes are more destructive than male hurricanes. Really? Uh, well, hurricanes don't technically have genders. So we're talking about the female yeah. named ones. you
1: see ones. the on that hurricane? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they,
0: you'd never hear that. Yeah. But uh, th- no, the researchers analyzed hurricanes from 1950 to 2012 and found that the ones with uh, women's names killed way more people.
1: Wow. Well, no, why not just name them all guys' names then?
0: I, you know, that, moving forward, that yeah. might be the way to go. Oh,
1: so uh, why is that?
0: well they have a theory as to why and that is because people perceive female named hurricanes as less dangerous and therefore do not prepare as well oh yeah it's a little bit sexist right
1: well come on women can
0: kill with the best of them
1: be honest if we heard that tiffany was coming at us Would you really pack up and get your supplies ready? That's I mean, ah, Tiffany. Yeah, I might, you know, I might
0: put on a nicer shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, she'll have a glass of Chardonnay and settle down. Right.
0: Uh, I've been through two hurricanes. Really? Belle and Gloria.
1: Where were you at the time? New York?
0: Uh, bell hit me when I was a kid on Long Island. Nobody else, just me. See,
1: I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> that sounds yeah. so very, specific. Very
0: localized hurricane.
1: That's the thing, you know, hurricanes are, hurricanes, you know, hit a weird See, to me, the scariest of all of the, you know, nature's wrath things are um, tornadoes. They're random. They're, yeah, because they pick and choose, you know. Uh, they can hit your neighbor's house and leave you just fine. But the thing is, then you're the one interviewed on the news trying to cover up a smile. <laughs>
0: from NPR, it's live from the Poundstone Institute, where we set out to learn everything from biology to anthropology, ornithology to dendrochronology Really, just anology on it and we'll talk about it. On today's show, a study that confirms something we all already suspected. Wolf Blitzer is scarier than an actual wolf. And Tyrannosaurus sex, or T-sex, as the ologists call it. Plus, Larry Wilmore, the Emmy Award-winning producer, writer, and former host of The Nightly Show, has a new podcast. It's called Larry Wilmore, Black on the Air. And he'll be dropping by to take the PPP, the Poundstone Personality Survey. I am Chief of Research Adam Felber, and now, here's your host. The director of the Poundstone Institute, Paula Poundstone.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to the Poundstone Institute where the professors meet us, amateur professors. So, Adam, where does our weekly search for all the world's knowledge take us first?
0: Well, our first investigation is about what scares mountain lions.
1: All right. I'm going to just take an educated guess. Okay. Heights? (laughs) I'm sure. Parent teacher conference? Uh, Yeah. Actually, you know what most people say? Most people say when you ask them what they're afraid of, most people say uh, public speaking. Okay. Is that? That is not. Oh, I was because I was going to tell the mountain lion, it's it's best to picture the other mountain lions naked. (laughs) Uh, Which they all already
0: are. Actually, what scares them most is us. Believe it or not, it's true. Justine Smith is a postdoctoral fellow at UC Berkeley, and she and her colleagues came up with an unusual way of studying mountain lion phobias. Justine Smith, welcome to the Poundstone Institute.
2: Hi. Thanks for for having having me. me.
0: So how did you discover that mountain lions are afraid of people?
2: We? we conducted an experiment where we played different kinds of sounds to pumas at places where they had killed prey. Uh, We played them a control sound, the sound of frogs chirping, just to make sure they weren't afraid of our speaker. And then we also played them sounds of conversational human speech while they were feeding uh, in the form of talk radio.
0: Talk radio, what sort of talk radio?
2: We played them across the political spectrum, Rush Limbaugh, Rachel Maddow, Glenn Beck, um, pretty much the whole circuit.
0: And and what was their response to these, these uh, giants of radio?
2: They were terrified. They fled <laughs> immediately almost every time and many of them never returned to feed on their kills at all.
1: Now, were you making sure that there was equal time from the left
2: and the right? <laughs> we did. What kind of scientists would we be if we only gave Pumas a biased sample of viewpoints?
0: Was there any, was there any difference? What was the, where, where do mountain lions lean?
2: Mountain lions are equally afraid of everyone, it seems, at least in the political sphere.
0: Justine, I noticed you've been using the words mountain lion and puma interchangeably. Are are these, the, in fact, the same animals?
2: They are. They are also called cougars. They actually have the Guinness Book of World Records for the most names of any animal. Really? Really? That's right. So, mm-hmm. name, name some of the others. Panther, as well, is one that people think is another cat. Uh, they also are called mountain screamers shadow cats, ghost no cats. No one has ever called it a mountain <laughs> screamer. I think it's a pretty antiquated term, actually.
1: Like, what do you mean? You read it in a Jane Austen novel? <laughs> y- 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 you know, uh, 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 I- I've been jilted, and there's a mountain screamer in the backyard.
0: <laughs> okay, now, can we broaden this out to other animals? Have you looked into it? Are any other animals afraid of, um, you know, your Glenn Beck's and your Rachel Maddow's?
2: We did have one gray fox come, and he was not afraid of the sound of human speaking.
1: So foxes like Fox News, is that right? (laughs) I guess so. So there was just one... That had not occurred to me. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you should try and see if they react to singing. (laughs) I went backpacking with my oldest daughter, Tosha, one time. And I made a, uh, a cardinal mistake of backpacking, which is I was fairly certain, based on nothing, that uh, we were out of bear country. And so, <laughs> <laughs> I guess because I didn't see any. Yeah. And uh, so, um, but I did see squirrels at the campsite. There were tons of squirrels and I didn't want the squirrels eating my Pop-Tarts. So I took uh, the backpacks with the food in them into the tent at, at night. Yeah, I'm used to that judgmental m- moan. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, the bear loved the idea. Uh, we woke up at about 1.30 in the morning with a very loud snuffling on the other side of a very thin nylon tent wall. And um, I, I, you know, I don't know for certain that it was a bear. It was certainly a loud enough snuffling to be a bear. My daughter kept going, put your head out and see. <laughs> uh, I pictured myself putting my head like directly into a bear's mouth as I unzipped, but uh, I did not do that. Instead, we turned on our headlamps and blinded each other instantly. <laughs> we clung to each other like Laverne and Shirley for a little while. And then uh, I decided, and this a lot of uh, nature lovers know this, um, which is we sang songs from The Harder They Come, because uh, people do know that uh, bears do not like the uh, songs of social struggle. <laughs> <laughs> the bear appeared to, uh, we went to sleep after a little while and about 3.30 in the morning it showed up again, to the best of my knowledge, and To catch an next. It, uh, well, it was, it was an encore, yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh on that time we added percussion and uh we did some hand claps. Uh, but it never occurred to me um to uh just talk, you know, to just like do a rush limbaugh and encourage the government to take away Medicaid. <laughs> that also You could have might just have, shared your views. Instead. I could have just shared my views. Maybe that's all it took. Maybe
0: that's what that that would have made it go away. Or at yeah. least not come back. So Justine um now that we know that mountain lions are scared of human voices, is there anything that we should be taking away from that?
2: Yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of interest in trying to find ways to coexist with these large carnivores, especially as they recover in many parts of North America. So I hope that this can lead to some management that, that focuses on preserving their behavior as well and minimizing our disturbances to them.
1: Well, Justine, you have not only finally discovered a good use for Rush Limbaugh, <laughs> But now people know what to do when they're hiking through the woods. Most of us used to just run like hell from a mountain lion. Now we would just lecture them on the China trade imbalance. It was really fun to talk to you, and I want to thank you so much for being with us. All right, thank you.
0: Justine Smith is a postdoctoral fellow at UC Berkeley. Justine, thank you so much for joining us on the Poundstone Institute.
1: just talk about other people's studies we also conduct our own which is why the usher asked you all for a urine sample when you walked in
0: (laughs) and this week we're surveying our audience about this question have you ever feigned interest in a loved one's hobby that you secretly couldn't stand just to be nice paula what about you
1: well i don't really like devil worship but (laughs) when my son was into it i uh no i'm kidding he uh Just, you know, it was just to get a scouting badge. (laughs) That's what he told me, anyways. All
0: right, we're going to find out exactly what percentage of our audience are feigners as soon as our lab assistants finish tabulating the results back there. All right, it's time to bulk up the endowment, Paula. Who do we have to thank? Stoke cold brew coffee.
1: Achieving the perfect balance of a bold yet smooth taste that's not too sweet is the stuff coffee drinkers dream of. Bringing it to life requires finding the right beans and the right grind, then brewing at cold temperatures for at least 10 hours. Stoke is slow brewed, like all the best ideas. Find it in the refrigerated juice section. The other coffees were kind of starstruck around it. Oh my gosh, there it is Stoke coffee, the one they brew at cold temperatures for at least 10 hours. Hi, Stoke coffee! It's more comfortable in with the juices. We'd also like to thank Simply Safe Home Security. If you don't have a pride of attack cats like I do, you definitely need SimpliSafe, which makes everything about home security effortless. From having no long-term contract, which keeps you in charge, to sophisticated wireless technology that makes setup a breeze. With 24-7 professional alarm monitoring and police dispatch, your home stays safe around the clock. Right now, SimpliSafe is having its biggest ever summer sale. For a limited time, get $100 off Simply Safe's special summer package. This sale ends soon. Visit simplysafenpr.com. Okay, Adam, what are we putting under the old microscope next?
0: Uh, well, Paula, we're going to be looking into
1: Tyrannosaurus
0: sex. We think of the Tyrannosaurus Rex as a fearsome monster, right? Tearing apart its enemies and trying to eat Velociraptors, Stegosauruses, and Jeff Goldblum. (laughs) But the burning question we all want to know the answer to is, what was T-Rex like in the sack? Turns out they're sensitive lovers. Joining us now to talk about it is Thomas Carr. He's a vertebrate paleontologist, director of the Carthage Institute of Paleontology, a competing institute to the Poundstone Institute. (laughs) Thomas, thank you for joining us.
3: Hello. Thank you for having hey, me. Hi.
0: What grabbed our attention was a headline we saw about your paper, and you probably know what it is. The headline is Tyrannosaurus Rex was a sensitive lover. Yeah. I know that's only one detail of your paper, but what? Uh, let's start with this. What is considered sensitive lovemaking by T. Rex standards? Is it just popping some Mentos first to get rid of that pterodactyl breath, or
4: what?
3: It has to do with being gentle with your mates. There's some evidence to think that T-Rex was a lot like alligators and crocodiles. And they would uh, be very gentle with each other. They would nose and they would bump each other. Very gentle stuff for such monstrous dinosaurs.
1: Well, their arms aren't really long enough to stroke anything.
3: (laughs) They aren't, but if you take the head and neck together... Yeah. That's sort of like a giant arm and fingertip, and we think that the face of T. rex was as sensitive as a human fingertip. And so that's where all the sensory equipment is located, a- around the jaws, around the mouth, and they would have rubbed faces together.
1: Yeah. Um, can I ask you, wh- how do you know this? I mean, all we have from dinosaurs is uh, like fossils and bones, right?
3: And a few
0: diaries. <laughs>
1: Uh, Okay, and the diaries.
3: Well, bones are like diaries. Bones can tell you a heck of a lot. And the cool thing about T-Rex faces is their skull bones compare really well with crocodiles. And so from crocs, we can get a really good picture of what T-Rex was like.
1: You know, I'm sure you know more than I do on this topic, but uh, um, people used to mistake me for Rosie O'Donnell a lot, you know. (laughs)
0: Right, and yet you don't behave like Rosie O'Donnell.
1: I don't behave like Rosie O'Donnell. Rosie O'Donnell
0: will rub her face against you just to say hi.
1: No, she never would.
0: But reading right from your paper, I'm going to quote, In courtship, Tyrannosaurids might have rubbed their sensitive faces together as a vital part of pre-copulatory play. Yes. The word courtship kind of stands out with me, because it's hard for me to picture a Tyrannosaur courting.
3: Yeah. The cool thing is that Crocs and T-Rex share a common ancestor, and... Crocodiles actually have an extended courtship, and then they get into the pre-copulatory behavior, which the press is called foreplay, and essentially it is. You know, being gentle and doing this head and neck rubbing is really important. They rub jaws together, and they'll even twist around each other. Okay. And so each step is, is really like, um, you know, being on a date. You All know, right. one false move and it's over.
1: Well, I'm not so, sure I would call that a date. Well, it's a it's yeah. a hookup at yeah. the least. No. I mean, uh, but do- I like doctor, a nice meal. I don't want somebody rubbing their jaw on me.
3: <laughs> what then
0: would T-Rex sex look
3: like? That's a good question. Um, the male would probably attempt to mount the female. What direction they'd be facing is would be a good question. I don't know if they would
1: be towards the, the other sunset each other or tail <laughs> to tail. <laughs> sure of it. I, you know, no, it's, I, I feel like a real idiot because I know, I know that, uh, you know, clearly T-Rexes are dead and we don't have them and you say you're talking about crocodiles, but the truth is, I don't. until you brought it up, it never occurred to me, I don't know how crocodiles have sex either. It just seems so taily.
3: Well, I'm sure for 40-foot dinosaurs, there would be some challenges. Um, they'd probably have to crouch low to the ground. I mean, they have to be stable, but I think Crocs are a really good model for how T-Rex would have done it. There'd probably be a little bit more crouching for Rex. Crocodiles do it in the water, so they've got you know, uh, plenty of support there. Uh, that's how you get that done. Uh, yeah.
1: uh, right. Well, plenty of support there, yeah, whereas right. a T-Rex used a sleep number bed. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing worse than when your T-Rex partner wants the bed at a different angle than you do.
0: So, I guess this must be an insensitive question from an outsider to the T-Rex community. Um, how do T-Rexes know if the T-Rex they're looking at is a male or a female?
1: Do you think they got any information about that from rubbing their jaws? You know, like if lipstick came off? <laughs> <laughs> well, then the guy's like, okay. Well, we know...
3: We know from crocs and alligators that they'll do different displays to each other, and male crocodiles will do a slightly different display from female. Wow,
4: yeah. mm-hmm. That's
3: possibly one way they told. Mm-hmm. Like, we can tell, obviously, each other uh, at a glance, more or less, and that doesn't seem to be the case for dinosaurs.
1: No, and unfortunately, the tube top hadn't yet been invented. <laughs> Thomas, I want to thank you so much. This really has been fascinating. I'm so glad to learn that T-Rex has a sensitive side. <laughs> it was great talking to you, Thomas. Thanks a lot. Well, thank
3: you so much.
0: Thomas Carr is an associate professor of biology at Carthage College and director of the Carthage Institute of Paleontology. Thomas Carr, thank you so much for joining us on the show.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: Honestly, had you ever even thought about how crocodiles had sex? You know, I'm an animal lover, and I... I, I, I well, you're not an
3: animal lover.
1: No, I'm an, an well, no, not an animal lover, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I love animals, and I, I you know, I, I carry spiders outside when they're in the house instead of squishing them. I really do my best, but, uh, you know, uh, I honestly, uh, crocodiles and alligators, I think, are the rare exceptions to the rule. <laughs> I, I know they have a place in the, in the food chain, but I just don't see any reason to carry them outside if they come in your house. <laughs> I had a bearded dragon lizard for a long time, and he was lovely. Does anybody, is anybody here a fan of uh, reptiles? You, ma'am. We used to... I grew up in Florida. I'm sorry, but I did. Um, There's no shame in that, ma'am. Oh, there,
2: there is so much. Um, <laughs> but, but we used to feed alligators hot dogs off the end of our dock. You used to feed alligators hot dogs off the end of your dock? They're cuter than
1: crocodiles. Oh, alligators are cuter than crocodiles? Very much so. Boy, there's a distinction <laughs> that is <laughs> just, you know, it's like having people come at you with knives and going, I would like the one with the n- nice handle. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, you, uh, wow. But they get in your swimming pool, and then you have to call professionals to get them out. I remember we had
1: a creek behind my parents' house, and uh, I, I, I'm not good at distances, so I don't know how far away from the house to tell you that it was but anyways uh i was down there at the creek you know just messing around in the woods that's a really great thing that i got to do when i was growing up and um one day up uh, 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 up from the creek comes uh i don't know a turtle okay but it was the size of like a uh uh, maybe a uh mm, a small bike tire You you know? It it, it, was a giant turtle. It it was a giant turtle. It was the biggest turtle I'd ever seen in my life. In Massachusetts. In Massachusetts, coming out of the creek. I ran like hell uh, all the way up to my parents' house. And it wasn't until literally just a couple of years ago that it dawned on me, that turtle couldn't have caught me. (laughs) Hey, let's take a quick break to hear about something you can listen to when this episode of Live from the Poundstone Institute is over. Or... When you turn it off at disgust.
2: Yo, 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 everybody, it's Stretch Armstrong. And my name is Bobito Garcia,
4: aka Cool Bob Love. If you love this podcast you are listening to, you should check out our new show, What's Good with Stretch and Bobito. This is not your average interview show. We're going to be telling stories that you're not going to hear anywhere else. Find it on Apple Podcasts, the NPR One app, or
1: however you find your podcast.
3: It's What's Good.
1: It is time to collect more data for the PPP, the Poundstone Personality Plus Survey.
0: Over the many years of the Poundstone Institute, we've collected millions of responses and cross-referenced them with 167 distinct personality types. And we'd like to invite well-known people here to help add to our database.
1: This week, our guest is Larry Wilmore. He was the senior black correspondent on The Daily Show. He hosted The Nightly Show on Comedy Central, and now he's got a new podcast called Black on the Air. Larry Wilmore, welcome to the Poundstone Institute. Thank you. Have
4: a Nice to be here. I've been very, uh, been very fond of the of the institute for many years now. So. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs>
1: Oodles of research has yes. come out of here. Yeah, looking mm-hmm. back, Larry, at this mm-hmm. last year. Uh, right. I know it's been a crazy year for you. Could you recap mm. it for us? Uh,
4: yeah. Well, for me, yeah, it's been. Cra- I mean, a year ago, I was. Uh, at the White House Correspondents' Center calling the president my N-word. So, uh, yeah, that got a lot of attention.
1: Yeah, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, and was I had it negative attention?
4: It was both. Yeah, it, it was, was both. both. It was kind of a, a warm, fuzzy thing more than that. It was a moment j- between two brothers in front of a lot of white people that really didn't understand what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, uh, a lot of people really enjoyed the set. You know, they saw it as a media critique. You know, I, I kind of went after CNN and all the people. I, I just felt like, like for instance, like Morning Joe at the time. I felt they were. Uh, I think the joke was they're so far up Trump's ass they bumped into Chris Christie. I believe the joke was. <laughs> <red>. <laughs> At the time. <laughs> and uh yeah, now they come around, which is good. But there was yeah. so much coddling of Trump in the media at the time and I just yeah. found it very offensive. Yeah. And uh, I just thought I had to talk about it. Sure. You
1: know? No and, good uh, for you.
4: Yeah, so yeah, so there was uh I didn't Listen, make the people, I don't really
1: like crocodiles and I just came out and said it.
4: Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So So yeah, it was fun. It was but but I didn't care, you know, it was both positive and negative. It was a fun time. I'm glad that I did it. Um and then I had a show called The Nightly Show, which was cancelled in August, so that was a big deal, you know, and You know, we were so excited that we were going to cover this election, you know, not even knowing how historic it would actually be. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's it's you're watching this train wreck and car wreck that you can't take your eyes off of, and then you realize (laughs) we're on that train and in that car. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I can't wait to see
1: what HBO does with it. And I'll tell you something. (laughs) If uh, was it Julianne? Who who's the woman who played Sarah Palin? Oh, Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. Yeah, Yeah, boy, if she doesn't play him in the HBO movie. (laughs)
4: <laughs> she can do anything. That I woman's know. very talented. Yeah, yeah, I will
1: be so upset.
4: Well, Larry, your year is about to get a
0: whole lot better because you're here to take the PPP, the Poundstone Personality Puss Survey. Now, you answer three questions developed by our in-house psychologists, and we feed the results into our supercomputer, and we'll tell you your personality type.
1: Great. Can't All mean. Let's do it. All right. First question, Larry. Uh-huh. You are being dragged off a United flight. <laughs> Do you yell something or grab as many of those tiny bottles of liquor as you can before you're off the plane?
4: I'm grabbing the liquor. All right. Uh, yeah. Definitely.
1: Question number two. Have you ever felt a dog or a cat is judging you? And if so, what were they thinking?
4: Um, yes definitely all the time uh the dog is not judging me i believe that cats are always judging me i think dogs are only thinking about where's my food and is anyone around here going to help in that you know but the cat is always thinking why is he here and i'm gonna simultaneously not i'm gonna ignore you at the same time no, yes. i agree
0: with that cats want to be seen ignoring you
4: yeah they yeah. do <laughs> they ignore you in front of you yeah some of my yeah, friends really parents had marriages it. like that yeah. <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Exactly.
1: I, 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 I know exactly what my cat is thinking when it watches me. Mm-hmm. It's thinking, hey, I get in trouble when I pee in the corner.
4: It <laughs> makes sense.
1: Question number three. <laughs> are you a person who tells someone they have food in their teeth, or are you a person who doesn't tell them?
4: Uh, it depends on who it is.
1: Oh wait, follow-up question. Yeah. Right. Do I have food in my teeth?
4: Uh, as I said, it depends on who it is. <laughs> no. Yes, I try to indicate. Oh, yeah. you
1: mean like with a subtle point towards someplace on your own face?
4: Yeah, I put a big piece of food in my teeth and go. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> All right, Adam. Let's enter Larry's responses into the database.
4: Oh. Okay. Here we go. Let's uh, let's turn on the mainframe
0: here. Not, not a lot of questions for a profile or <laughs> Well, we are <laughs> very <laughs> highly advanced. Yeah, yeah we've
1: been sing-y. doing this for years. I can yeah. tell. Yeah. This is great.
0: And here are the results. Paula?
1: <laughs> Larry Wilmore, you are personality number 42, Ooh. the golden retriever. Wow. You are smart, optimistic, and loyal. <laughs> and like most golden retrievers, you have your own podcast.
0: <laughs> really? <laughs> Larry Wilmore, thank you so much for being thank with us today. Thank you, my
1: Nice being here. Yeah. Okay. Larry Wilmore is a yeah.
0: producer, director, writer, actor, host, chef. I'm assuming you can hear more from Larry on his new podcast, Black on the Air. Yeah.
1: Thanks so much, Larry. Really appreciate it. Thank you. 100%. Very talented guy, Larry Wilmore. Yeah, yeah, I like him. Yeah but I know our audience here at the Poundstone Institute is also full of talented and interesting people. True. Like you, sir. What do you do for a living, sir? Um, I'm recently retired. <laughs> How could you retire at your age? Are you sure that it's retirement and you weren't just let go? Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the plan is for it to stick. Really? What did you retire from, sir? Uh, I was in banking. Oh. Oh, Oh, the Wells Fargo wagon is Uh, a-coming. No, what did you do in banking?
0: Um, I was one of the many vice presidents of commercial banking.
1: Let me ask you something. Um, At home, uh, are your pens all chained to the table? (laughs) No, no. Yeah, no. that must <clears throat> just freak you out. <laughs> <laughs> Makes me anxious. <clears throat> uh, and, and did you work your way up? Um, yeah, I was there for about 25 years. Do you know, I read a thing on the internet today, and I guess it was supposed to be like a, like a warning, like a caution. It said something like, you know, 50% of Americans um, spend their whole paycheck. And it wasn't until I read that that I realized you weren't supposed to. (laughs) I can't tell you how much I wish I was kidding right now. Hey, if you're in LA and you've already sat through the mandatory six straight days of Wheel of Fortune tapings, why not come see something entirely free of vowels? Join us at a taping of Love from the Poundstone Institute. (laughs) For ticket information, go to
0: poundstoneinstitute.org. Make sure and use your vowels there. Or visit our Facebook page. You can also send us research that you think we might want to know about. Okay, we have the results of the survey. Oh, good. Once again, the question we asked Have you ever feigned interest in a loved one's hobby? that you secretly couldn't stand just to be nice. And it turns out 67% of our statistically significant audience has done this. 67%.
1: That's a lot. Yeah. That's high. So I have our audience's survey answers here and I'm gonna read. um, I have attended many Catholic masses, quite sure I would be smoted by a bolt of lightning on the spot for not giving a (laughs) But the music is nice. Uh, let's see. Have you ever feigned interest in a loved one's hobby or activity that you secretly couldn't stand just to be nice? Saltwater aquariums.
4: Wow. Wait,
1: whose is that? Who who has attended saltwater aquariums? Really?
4: No, it, it's more of the the hobby. He, My partner has a saltwater aquarium.
1: Oh, he has a saltwater aquarium.
4: And I have to go to... Uh, aquariums around Southern California with him to find new fish and coral.
1: Oh, you have to go with him to find new fish and coral. Yeah, and, and so he says stuff like, "Oh, come look at this ceramic scuba diver."
4: Uh, uh, more like, l- "Come look at this uh, coral mushroom. It has red on it." And I have to assume I have to say, "Oh, yes, it's very nice." Yeah.
1: <laughs> You know, I have to say that if, that's as, if that reading that you just gave us is as enthusiastic <laughs> as you could be about the um, saltwater aquariums, that your partner knows.
4: Yeah.
1: Uh, have you ever feigned interest in a loved one's hobby or activity that you s- secretly couldn't stand just to be nice? Collecting birds and wasps nests. And other organic things like strange seed pods. (laughs) Whose is that?
2: I'm over here on this side.
1: Uh, So you have, who do you go collecting birds and wasps nests and other organic things like strange seed pods with?
2: I don't go do the collecting. They're brought home to our house.
1: Who brings them home? The seed guy.
2: Yeah, the seed guy. My husband. (laughs) Your husband? How come Adam said the seed
1: guy, and you're like, yeah, the seed guy. Like, that's your special name for him when you're rubbing his jaw late at night. (laughs) The seed guy. Um, So he collects birds and wasps' nests? Yes. Oh, because you know what? In our birdhouse, there's a bees hive right now.
0: There's a beehive in your birdhouse.
1: Oh,
2: no, he doesn't do beehives. He only does wasp nests. Ma'am, I can Burr's only go mess. so
1: far to help you. <laughs> <laughs> I, was trying to ta- I was trying to enhance your
2: relationship just that much more.
0: Just by adding bees into the equation. Yeah,
2: exactly. No, we don't, we don't want bees in the equation. Oh. No. no, that would be like a, a deal breaker. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and wasps aren't? No, no, no. They're actually very beautiful. They're, they're very interesting, but I do have Ma- to feign a lot of... Um, joy and um, (laughs) excitement when they're smuggled back from places like Mexico Um, so
1: (laughs) wait I'm feigning interest right now Uh... (laughs) (laughs) that does it for today's show the distinguished chair of the Poundstone Institute is Doug Berman our undistinguished chair is Ian Chillog. our folding chair is Mike Danforth our Sunny chair is Franny Kelly. <laughs> Our King Louis XVI chairs are Steve Nelson and Anya Grundman. Special thanks to John Cohn and Liz Brown at Southern California Public Radio, Erica Reddick, Ken Lisebnick, and the folks at Nerdmelt. Our technical directors are Patrick Murray and Stephen Colon, with engineering from Tony Federico and Leo Delagala. Live from the Poundstone Institute is produced by Urgent Haircut Productions in association with KPCC and is sheepishly distributed by NPR. You can visit us at poundstoneinstitute.org or find us on Facebook. Thanks to our head of research, Adam Felber. Thank you for being here and thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Live from the Poundstone Institute. This is NPR.